It's October 17, 2021. This is Ablecraft, episode 13. I'm Abel Kirby. And I'm Sir Spencer. Yeah. It's true. Oh, man. And in, uh, I don't know, a weird coincidence, we're back in the studio again. I know. For the second time. This has never happened before, and now it's happened twice. I just, I, now I can't stay away. Yeah. Once you get a taste of the Abel Kirby lifestyle... <laughs> Which is wait? So, how would you describe the Abel Kirby lifestyle? Uh, how would I describe the Abel Kirby lifestyle? Uh, Waking up at eight, and making coffee, laid back, uh, minimalist, maximalist. Ah, uh, you have yeah. like the the best of both ends of it. You like a simple setup with like twenty thousand instruments. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what you need if you want to get anything done. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, you here? It's a nice. I just had to check outside. Beautiful day. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, Checks out. Ellicott City, Maryland. And we got some podcasting 2.0 stuff to talk about today. Um, the first thing I wanted to bring up was this idea of a hardware boost button, mm-hmm. which seems like it could be a little bit closer than we uh, than I thought. I was driving in my car, and I had this thought to myself, if I just had a button on my dashboard to boost, I wouldn't have to, like pick up my phone and get in a car accident just because someone told me to boost. Yeah. And I just want to point out the liability issue here. If you, if you tell someone to boost and they're harmed in the in the act of boosting, I think you might be liable. you got some sats uh, that are at stake for that, I yeah, think, maybe. So they're, yeah, they're going to sue you for your sats. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the solution, obviously, is you got to have a hardware boost button somewhere. And, uh, oh, I noticed the repeat track repeat playlist button on my... My dashboard, um, you know, Bluetooth controls in my car, it has an, well, I never use that button for anything. I use sure. it when I, when I listen to music once in a while, if I want to hold one song or something. If I'm demoing, say I wrote a, I recorded something and I just want to hear it like five times in a row. That's the only time I ever use it. So pretty much never. So pretty much never. Oh yeah. This, I write stuff all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, on my way to the studio, I'm, uh. Demoing this to the big record execs, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this is great. This is great. This is exactly what we like." Now the the thing is, I think there's a Bluetooth API. Obviously, I'm not doing this work. I just reached out to a bunch of people on uh, the podcast index.socials. Hey, could you do this for me? So it, it is sounds- an interesting uh, concept. I know. I'm trying to think of if I've ever seen a repeat button in any other vehicle. I don't know how common that is. Hmm. Mine's on a. I think it's a Kenworth. Uh, it's on. It's on a aftermarket receiver. I put in there. Okay. Yeah. That uh, that would make sense. I'm trying to think of my. Uh, I'm in the rental now. Hmm. Renting an Infinity. Yeah, you probably have one on if it has a touchscreen. Yeah, there's it's, probably a software kind of. Yeah. There's. So that would be a soft key though. I have a hard button, man. That would be the. Uh, that that is the hard ultimate. button. I just take take the SOS thing out, you know, the thing that calls the satellite company. Oh, OnStar? Yeah, take that out. I never use that. <laughs> Make that the boost button, so then yeah. you're just boosting instead of calling uh, emergency services. Yeah, Cotton Gin mentioned, he, he, he commented on it. He's, he, he's running all the time. Uh, I heard him on a hog story last night. I listened, I stayed up uh, and listened to it on my phone. Oh, nice. The, uh, the thing he wants is a boost button so he can boost while he's running. Nice. So we need the runner booster. Yeah. Well, you need a little Fitbit that boosts for every step instead of every minute. <laughs> That's Stream, it. Streaming stats That's per step. It. I'm stepping. I got my sat steps up. 
Yeah. I'm sure Phone Boy would be into that. Yeah. Shuffling around in the sandals, boosting every left every time the left foot hits. Yeah. Well, we did some boost, uh, some boosting stuff the other day. I think this is after we, we recorded last episode. We had our boost bait marathon. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure we plug that on the show. That was github.com slash Abel Kirby slash boost bait. And I think we have 33 clips. Some of those are from Adam Curry's collection. We put a bunch in ourselves, just stuff we spitballed on the floor. Yeah. Uh, Someone clean up that spitball. It's on the floor. <laughs> it was great. We did some presidential quotes, had the kids going. Uh... <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Oh, it's a it's Spencer on my soundboard now. You got me on buttons. Now I can't stop. <sighs> yeah, we also got something accomplished over the week. In, uh, we got our podcaster Ring of Fire launched. Oh, yeah? Or ignited, I guess you'd say. Jeez. That was a, a fun one, huh? I, I did this song for that. I ended up on Podcasting 2.0. I felt really bad because the song is kind of optimistic. And at the end of your podcast, Ring of Fire, oh, uh, you know, it's yeah. so cool. But what it should have been is, you know, da, da, it should have been circus music and clowns. <laughs> it should have been, like, been like, ah, it's a podcast, Ring of Fire. Ah. Channel, but who's on open channel? It burns. It the pavement went the wrong way. That's what it should have <laughs> sounded like. Uh, you know, yeah. maybe hellfire, maybe Satan laughing in the background. <laughs> you know, yeah, good. exactly. That's what it should have sounded like because it was a week of whatever. Well, the one dev in our group ha- ended up having like the most troubles too. He opened a private channel. Yeah, I don't know what can, what can I say How, about so. That? Let me ask you a question, the, the, Spencer. But, yes. How are you supposed to route a payment through Dave's private channel? I get it. The answer is you can't. You can't. You That's can't. the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a secret channel and nobody knows about. So yeah, so the Ring of Fire can't participate then. Mm. Okay, well, moving on. Yeah. Hey, we got it open. We got it open at least. Yeah. And I I'm saw. gonna I'm gonna open another one. Because this is the thing, when you open a ring of fire and then you start talking about it, people get the FOMO thing going on. Or they're like, Oh, now these guys are like Uber connected. They got the they're they're in the ring. And so like Brian of London's like, can I open a channel to the ring and be connected to the ring? And it's like, well, you know, if you if you have a channel to Adam Curry or to Dave Jones already or anybody else really in the in the ring, doesn't he need a hexagon of fire to go with is. his to go with his hive? He needs a yeah. We Maybe need to put him in the octagon. The octagon of fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's for the hive. Yeah. If it's the hexagon, then yeah. Yeah, I looked at give the... him a honeycomb, lightning honeycomb, lightning honeycomb. I went and looked into making a Hive account. Actually, I probably have the confirmation email and the thing. It's oh, yeah. First, making a Hive account? What? Yep. Th- this is uh, not what I expected and not what I wanted to. Oh, and you got to save your uh, Hive key. I have a screenshot of it on my old phone. I should probably pull it off of there. Yeah, when he first talked about it, you know me, the Mr. Starry-Eyed Goofball. I'm like, I'll try anything. And so I signed up for... An account as well. And then I was like kind of asking him, granted, this is like almost a year ago. This is like when they first started, when he first started talking about it. So I signed up for the account and then, you know, I've got my credential information and I think they give you like a seed phrase or something like that. You know, like this is like, oh, save this, save all of this. This is your hive. This is who you are in hive. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you go to like the Hive Marketplace and you're looking around like, okay, this is all the things you can do now that you have your Hive Pass. You can walk around in the in the Hive Garden, in the Hive Playground. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do the Hive Monkey Bars or the Hive Slide or I don't. And so I never really ended up doing anything because 
It's just another thing on uh, the two million things that I could potentially do. Uh, the the part where you have to sign up with uh, you have to sign up with some service where that wants your email address. Uh, and I'm I know I realize that there is some other technical way to get a Hive account without going through some other service. I, I presume it has to do with knowing a guy who's already in who can like create your account for you with his Hive power or whatever. It's not clear how that's supposed to be done, and so pre- the practical uh, the practical way of doing this is you have to Google uh, or DuckDuckGo create Hive account, and then you get a list of two or three different places, and they all look like they suck. They all want a um, an email address. They want to send you confirmation emails back mm-hmm. and forth. And when I put my node together, like when I put that Lightning node up, I didn't ask no one for permission. I plugged that bitch in, and it worked. Yep. And uh, it's... I didn't ask you, what's your name? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? Nothing. Yep. Just, this is your address, and uh, connect to who you want to connect to. You're on. So I need the... That's one of the things that I need to know. Uh, I need to know, how do I do that with Hive? How do I... Do I need to just run a program on my computer that uh, does something, you know, kind of like this node does, uh, does it for uh, Lightning and Bitcoin? But I don't understand it. Uh, I I realize that everyone likes Brian of London's appearance on uh, podcasting 2.0, and I I also liked it, but I did not walk away from that thinking, oh, this is how I get Hive. Right. This is how I get Hives now. You know, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, I had the itch long ago, but. <laughs> it was cortisone. Yeah, it just went right away. No, I, I still am kind of. Uh... I don't know what I need it for, which I also realize there's plenty of guys like that looking at Lightning or looking at Bitcoin saying the exact same thing, saying, yeah. well, I looked in it, and I didn't get it, and it didn't click, and or, I don't know why I need this. Or I went to Coinbase, and they want my bank account information. Sure, sure. <laughs> which, which is also a problem. But. Yeah. Well, <sighs> I mean, if you know the wolf, then you already know a guy who will sell you Bitcoin for cash, anonymously. <laughs> so Under the table. Just saying. Yeah, we've got, I had a comment about NFTs. I don't know if this is, uh, it's not really Bitcoin related, except that it's crypto related, but I have a new philosophy with NFTs. As we all know, they are the, calling them beanie babies is so overdone, but I'm going to still call them, they're the beanie babies of crypto. It's it's such a stupid thing. I I can't imagine paying money to have a JPEG on a blockchain in your name. Like you can right click save that, you know? Mm-hmm. And going through it, there was so much fraud that I saw. People, it was usually people like in, um, it was like India or Pakistan. or It looked like it was one of those countries. You can't really tell where, where everything's from. But it's like not not people in Japan, and they're taking a bunch of anime art and then selling it. And so I was recognizing, oh, that's a famous artist. Yeah, I know who he was and that. And it, this piece was was pretty big. And you see it on the blockchain up for auction. Uh, or you see it minted on, I'm sorry, on NFT site, uh, auction site, and it's clearly not the artist doing it. It's someone who went around, they they downloaded it off the internet, they said, oh, I'm going to mint all this stuff. It's someone else's art that they stole, and they're minting it as an NFT, and so there's that. Now, not every NFT is uh, stolen. Some of it is original art or original stuff. I suppose you can mint all kinds of different things, but I went through the auction site. I was doing a bit for Rare Encounter. I'm trying to get the uh, some screenshots and some topics together, and 
man, there is some ugly shit minted as an <laughs> NFT. No doubt. It is. We can mint just literally anything. So. It's, it's just like, what's the most low effort crap that you could pump out there? There's your NFT for you. This isn't the Louvre. It's not high art. Uh, it's it's very it's not even pop art. It's like I spent a couple minutes uh, screwing around, and now I want to see if I can cash in. You know, right? So I don't know. I guess if people buy it, you can't really complain. I suppose, yeah. If there's a market for it, then you know. Another thing though is not only is it stolen on the front end a lot of the art, but I've seen plenty of like Twitter threads or dudes even who have it in their profile who are like. Oh, these are my three NFTs that have been stolen. If you see them out there, like, uh, don't buy them because they're mine and someone stole them because they got hacksored. Sub the library blocked by NFT. Oh my God. It's just like, what are you doing, man? I don't, I don't get it either, you know, because they, they even tell you right away, like, it's not like you own the rights to this art itself. It's not like no one else can own. Own, open, download, or look up the JPEG file. So, like, what do you really own? I like what you said last night. It's not like the Beanie Baby. It's like the Name of Star scam. Oh, yeah. The Name of Star scam is what you were saying, where it's like, yeah. okay, so we say that this is called your star. and Yeah, uh, in our star catalog that we maintain. But yeah. it's not in the Yale star catalog. Right. You know, it's not in any real catalog of stars it's just the one that we publish and you know the guy doesn't go out to the star and stick a sign in it <laughs> yeah saying now it's yours you know oh boy name a star There's... star naming i'm just trying to see what's it name a star.com instant a... oh we could get an instant certificate 20 dollars. 20 bucks 1995 man, put that shit in my hand name a star no no thank you Jeez, he's on my soundboard again. <laughs> Touching my soundboard. So it's so pretty, it's colorful. Yeah. Coming up, um after the Ring of Fire stuff, I have one perfectly balanced channel, but I keep going back and forth on how there's some philosophy on how you would run a business with lightning. How would you um well, don't how would you, have... you do personal finance with Lightning? If the, if everyone else was playing ball mm-hmm. and you could pay your rent in Lightning, you could pay your grocery store in Lightning. I've been thinking about that a lot more lately, and there's a lot to think about. It, it doesn't fit perfectly with the way we're used to using cash, obviously, right. or if we're used to using credit on everything where you can you know swipe your card on the way out. It seems like if you want to use Lightning, what you really have is a relationship that you set up that's a little thicker than the mag strip on your Visa card. Yes. The the way that you have to do it to, to make Lightning work uh, is you have to set up a big, big old channel. And to set up how big does the channel have to be? Well, you have to estimate how much business you're doing with, with each entity. So if you think you're going to shop at Walmart... You probably want to estimate how much you're going to spend at Walmart or the Walmart affiliated stuff, you know, stuff that uh, you could route towards Walmart's, you know, cloud of, uh, I presume that they would have a bunch of different nodes with liquidity between them, but maybe Walmart's not going to route a payment from their thing into uh, the Kroger. Maybe, you don't know, maybe they'll do it for a higher fee. Uh, This is all, you know, just making it up, trying to imagine what the world is going to be like. In a lightning world. Sure. 
the the thing that I keep coming back to whenever I think about that is the idea of inbound liquidity being a little bit little bit nonsense because if you have someone who's trying to pay you with lightning if you're setting up that relationship like does Walmart have to go out and open a channel with me and then be responsible for creating inbound liquidity on their side for me to buy some cheap Chinese crap at their store? Or is it on me to open the channel with Walmart if I want to shop there? Well, I would say, you know, there's kind of three main channel management strategies depending on what you're doing. And if you're a shopper, then the benefit of you opening a channel directly to Walmart is that you have that one channel, it's one hop away. And so you're not going to pay, you're not going to have to be looking for a bunch of hops and you're not going to have to pay extra fees per hop. You just have your direct uh, channel to Walmart. Now on Walmart's side, it's not really any skin off of their ass how many hops it takes their customers to get to them Mm -hmm. because they're not paying those fees. The customer is. So they just want inbound liquidity so they can just receive it. And where do you get that? Well, maybe if you're Walmart or one of the bigger boys, you get it from bigger nodes. Maybe you get it from Ellen Pay. Maybe you get it from, uh, you know, the bit refill guys or, you know, guys that are doing tons of liquidity. So there's what I see is two classes of channel. One is part of a peering agreement mm-hmm. where you have basically corporate entities agreeing with each other to have a big old node, a big old channel between them and manage it with some under some terms. But if I open, uh, say go to my grocery store and I open a big channel and I say, this is my, this is my food budget. It's, you know, two months of food. And then I got to rebalance it. You know, uh, mm-hmm. this is my food budget for this quarter or whatever. And how much I'm estimating, how much I'm going to spend. Maybe I spend it all. Maybe I don't, who cares? Well, I'm not going to let my neighbors go blow through that channel. Right. Just because they don't want their own on-chain transaction. So I'm either going to set my fees really high or I'm going to make it a private channel. Well, And and so I don't think yeah. you can expect to have a bunch of good Samaritans who have uh, who are doing serious business, like shopping for cookies, letting you use their channels for anything that you want. I mean, not without some serious fees that would make it worth their while or without uh, – I mean – my instinct would just be to open a private channel. It's none of your business. Right. You can't you can't buy your cookies through my cookie channel. Well, that's the point of private channels. It's not to keep you anonymous or to make it private, you know, with the finger wag private. A private channel is like, no, this channel is dedicated for my own purposes and I won't be routing anything through it. So what you're saying of like pre-budgeting something for the grocery store, that would be a perfect use of a private channel. Mm. The other thing is the fee structure, I know that a lot of people are in to Bitcoin and Lightning are super altruistic and they just like want to make the world a better place or help the network. Yeah, or that's that's make going away. Flow. That's going away as soon as you could buy uh, trinkets at Walmart. Well, it's not it's not even that it has to go away or that you gotta be a bad guy, but you, you, we look at fees and we go, Oh, high fees bad, low fees good. And it's it's just a false binary way of looking at it. What you have to do is say, where's the fee sweet spot? Where What is the market equilibrium for the fee? What I need is a fee that's high enough that I don't get my channel blown out and then I have to pay and lose my ass rebalancing it all the time. Hmm. But it's low enough 
that people can still say, oh, this is a good enough deal. I'm going to use it to route. So you're kind of looking for that sweet spot in the network. And maybe you do want to be on the high end. Maybe you want to say, you know what? I really, really don't want to route payments through, but if you make it worth my while, it's fine. And that's when you set maybe a little higher than equilibrium fee. But the sweet spot would just be, you know what? This is my channel. I'm going to route it this way. If you want to use it, that's fine. But I, I got to make good on the rebalance if you're going to use it so that I don't have to pay to reuse it. And you're passing those costs on to the person who actually needs it, the person who is using your service of a routing node. And so that's kind of like, I think it's been really misunderstood, especially in the podcast world so far, of like what the goal with fees should be. And I know there's been a lot of talk of like, we want zero fees or next to zero fees, which is a, it's like a noble cause behind that, but it's not necessarily good strategy, good economics to, to aim for that. And it's not fat, and it's not being a fat cat to push back against it either. It's just like, hey, well, you got to pay for a channel rebalance. Like, yeah. that shouldn't be on me just because you're gonna come use my thing, and then I got to pay because you came and along. Then to I have me. to rebalance my channels yeah. more often, and yeah. uh, it's more more fees I have to pay. So you know, yeah. I guess the fee should be high enough to pay for that. But yeah, the economic burden has to be on the. On the guy who's initiating the action. So we could talk about economic burden, but if this was really a layman's technology, you know what people would want on their node? They say, I open a big channel. Um, I could have fees. Maybe I'll have a little fees or no fees. You know what they probably want on there is a white list of other of friends and family who can route payments through their node. Sure. And that's a feature that doesn't exist. That's true. I. Because I don't want a stranger routing through my node. I want, here's the authorized people in my neighborhood, yeah. you know. Either they're from my hometown or they're, or they're, uh, or they're Bruins fans like me. No or... Republicans <laughs> on my node. Right, yeah. Like... Oh, boy, wait a minute. Because <laughs> uh... you, you, you only want to rebalance it like once a year is what I was thinking. So I, you could have, if you did everything right, this is the, the high-end view of, uh, was that... If you did everything right, you'd have your channels and just like doing your taxes or something, you just rebalance them once a year. Mm -hmm. And so my proposal was that we could do it all the day after Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And we already have a financial holiday, mm -hmm. which is Black Friday. Yeah. Uh, do you know the story of that? It, it was traditionally the day after Thanksgiving when people started doing their Christmas shopping, everyone's accounting books would be in the red yep. at the start, uh, which means that they were negative uh, net over the year. And then Black Friday would be traditionally about the time when all of those red numbers turn to black numbers, which yeah. means they're positive. If, if you're in retail, that's 100% the case for sure. And then, you know, the name Black Friday kind of took on this. I, it has this nice, dark, ominous meaning to it in its association with, uh, what do they call it? Uh, on red, uh, what do the communists call it? Late stage capitalism. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It has all that that baggage with it too, so I don't know. I think we should replace Black Friday because it's a bad holiday. No one really likes it. Uh, we should replace it with Rebalance Friday. I like Rebalance Friday. There's my proposal. Um, <laughs> you know, Black Friday. I think I'm pretty sure originally was a big gold scandal in the Ulysses S. Grant administration. Really? They had Black Friday. Yeah. So one of my uh, my best friend's ancestor was involved. That's why I know about it. <laughs> 
He was the secretary treasurer, uh, the secretary of the treasury at the time. Uh, was he the one hollowing out the gold bars and putting tungsten inside? It wasn't quite that sinister. <laughs> he would just tip off his uh, uh, buddies in the gold industry whenever the U.S. Treasury was going to sell their gold. Oh yeah, he'd tip them off beforehand, and they would sell before the price would dip from the government selling. Oh uh, yeah. Have you told this story before? On uh... not on the waves, I don't believe. I think mm. I just told it to you. Off air. Someone told me that recently. Mm. Uh, it might have been behind the schemes. I'm trying to remember mm. where that came from. Could have been. Mm. Yeah. Oh. I, they called it Black Friday. Well, Black Friday was that um, Grant actually went ahead and sold some gold without telling his secretary, his uh, treasury secretary. And so then he sold like a shitload of gold without the, telling them. And then he crashed the price of gold. And woo-hoo. the secretary ended up resigning in disgrace. And Oops. Yeah. Oops. Oops. Yeah. Oh, well. So on uh, Bobcat Index, I don't know why it says Bobcat Index. I'm just going to delete the word index for Bob, my... It's Bobcat Feeder. Bobcat wow, Feeder wow. update. Bobcat stuff. You need stuff. some kind of Bobcat growl like that. Well, we got this one. You're going to have to ruin it. Nah, the- it's not very Bobcat. <laughs> <laughs> bobcat. I got a Bobcat growl. Let's see. Maybe. <laughs> That's a little. Here's a snarl. That's the, oh, that I one's better. That's pretty good. First one sounded almost here's, like a, Here's another bobcat. Bobcat moving and dumping dirt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so I was looking at node maintenance, and one of the things I've been trying to do is get a great way to get boostograms out of your node that's easy to do, and you don't have to... Yes. Go through a third-party service. My problem is this gRPC stuff makes it difficult to develop for, Mm -hmm. and it makes it difficult to distribute your your program after, if it's a simple program. I know there's a way to compile the... uh, the proto buffer stuff or get code generated for the proto buffer and distribute it with your code. I don't understand that because I'm not a proto buffer expert. But I did get the protobuffer stuff working on on my node. It's easier to do on the Raspi Blitz than it is on Windows. And so my thought is I just want to have a process that runs on the Raspi Blitz. And every time it, it checks for TLV records or it checks for invoice, maybe the whole invoice database, when it sees new stuff, I want it to echo it to a remote SQL database sure. that I run. And... The point of doing that would be, well, everyone knows how to develop for SQL. I mean, this is basic. It doesn't have to be SQL per se, you know, some kind of standard, normal database, the kind of database that we're all used to using if you've done any kind of development. Sure. Uh, You've probably connected to an SQL database and run queries on it and stuff. Okay. But once you have it in a database format like that where you don't have to do any of this weird proto crap and you can use standard libraries to access it. You don't need to download a bunch of crap and compile it and, and do all this stupid stuff. Uh, I really don't like gRPC. I, I have a vendetta against it now just because it's so, uh, it's so, ob- what's the word? It's not oblique. It's a... Uh, Opaque? Yeah. It, uh, oh, ah, ob- obese? Oh, it's obese. Yeah, it's an obese <laughs> protocol. It's a big fat I, fatty, is what you're trying to say. It's a it's efficient, but it's inefficient. <laughs> uh, from what I can see, it seems like it's a good idea. I I I talked to my favorite Marty about it. 
Mm-hmm. And he was talking it up. He's like, yeah, this is like normal. You really, you just need to understand it, man. Like yeah, we were having beers the other day. We we're going to go see the James Bond movie. That There's a active shooter at the mall. <laughs> so we, we stayed at the bar. We we're going to have a beer and go see the movie. But when we went to see the movie, they the police cordoned off the whole thing. It's active shooter. Stay away. So, okay, I guess we're having another beer instead. Wow. And, we, and he's telling me about GRPC, you know, the proto-buffer. He wasn't talking about GRPC per se. But he's convinced me that it's a good idea. And uh, there's some good engineering reasons why it has to exist. And it's useful to have around. I still don't like it. <laughs> I want an SQL database, so. Yeah, I think that's well. There that's should a be there should be an easy way to make a bridge to a back end, right? Like some program uh, at any given time. Maybe it's daily. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, every other day. Whatever you pick a time, mm-hmm. it reads all the new ones, throws them in the database, yep. and then you can, like you're saying, you can sift through it there. Yep. So then you can say, oh, but- what came in the past week? What came in year to date? Uh, what came in just from Podfriend? What came in just from Curiocaster? Yep. And um, you should be able to get that. You can make a web app that does that. You can do Python. You can make a desktop app. You yeah. can do Android app that connects to a database. Okay, there's a million of those. Yep. Yeah, I like that idea. So, And it turns out it's not original. Um, I poked around and I had Dave Jones replied to me that uh, that's actually what they do at the podcast index node. And he has every 15 minutes, it gets synced over to a MySQL oh, database. Every 15 minutes must be fucking nice. Yeah. Which is funny <laughs> that he has... The the thing, I guess it's the podcast index node, not the... That that database should have all his live Boostagram stuff in it. Yeah. And, you know, his Boostagram readers, the, the Boostagram readers stuff that, uh, like the ex- extract TLV, extract, TLV, yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to say it, uh, script. It seems like that should have just grabbed the MySQL database. I guess he's trying to do it for everyone, you know. He didn't, uh, that code's not open source. It's not on the podcast index uh, GitHub. But It's not been polished out yet. Yeah. Enough to It's quote, quote, unquote, messy. Now, that's a mind blower, actually, because if you think about Boostagrams, every time a Boostagram is sent, the PI node gets a piece, right? So they can read every boostagram. Is that not true? Only if you include them. So if you have... Oh, uh, sure, yeah, because you can boost directly to... That's right. You know, that is interesting. I, do we want to pressure... Uh, <laughs> as much pressure. I don't know how much sweet, how much pull we have. Know. I'm not Should holding we find the sign out? again. Can can we uh, protest outside the podcast index office and for them to disclose how many boostograms they get that aren't meant for them? Or maybe, uh, yeah. Well, because you know, I I heard a rumor they talked about uh, James Cridlin getting a boost that couldn't be read. Yeah. So wh- See, how do we get a copy of that? It's clearly a podcast podcasting two point They'll read hate boostograms. Because they're, they're not shy or bashful about that. Did but. they get it? So did they get a copy of that if it went through, like, Podfriend? I would imagine if uh, if it was a boost all situation, you know, and and they got a piece of that, then the TLV would still be included, right? Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a dirty boost. There's All right, we got to get some boosts up in here. You want to do one first? Okay. There's a dirty boost out there, <laughs> man. There's a dirty boost up in here. Someone's, someone's dropping dirty boosts. I smell the boost from way over here where I'm sitting. <laughs> The B O O S T. Oh man, 
Yeah, we have the boost beta. I got, I don't know, what do we have? Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. Oh, stellar acting, stellar acting. Apologies to the Kennedy family and and the entire Eastern Seaboard. Is uh, the best GFK in a podcast known for boosting. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, we had a bunch of these things. Uh, We plugged that at at the front. Boost bait. Boost bait. You got to get some boost bait. You got to chum the water. You got to chum the water. I'm going to get on Fiverr or something and just go <laughs> hog wild. Yeah. It's like, do say anything, but keep using the word boost. As long as it's boost in there. Yeah, I'm get, get some real artists. Some real artists who can uh, you know, craft some words around the boost. Get some boosty ladies. Some boosty ladies. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, we got some uh, music stuff done last night. We did. And earlier this week. It was delightful. I got the a lot of the like wine uh, drums are all squared away. We did a new mix of that. Um, a couple things need to change. I think when you got here yesterday, I was in the middle of trying to lay down the distorted electric guitar. I was trying to get the tone right. Oh, yeah. So I have to get back to that. But I think I know everything I'm going to play on that already. So it's... It's ready for me. All I have to do is do it. Okay. <laughs> Two years later, it'll be still undone. Oh, you know, you know. No, uh, I know how that goes. So we did that, and then we uh, had some pretty good discussion about um, Monday Ghost. That was cathartic, I think, because we actually, like the demo that we put together last night didn't really line up. It wasn't, you know, ready for prime time. Right. But as we were doing it, I think I realized a bunch of stuff about the timing for that damn track. Right. Uh, about how the how come when I play it on the guitar, that's fine. Or I play it on the piano, it's like I can just kind of feel the rhythm. But when I put in the uh, the click track with all when, every time that the the key uh, not the key signature, the time signature changes, it feels like someone smacks you in the side of the head. Yeah. And I. Th- I think what we need to do is every time that we change the time signature, we need to also change the BPM. Sure. And I, I, my dad told me the Beatles did this. It's just coming back uh, that they would cha- do a weird time signature, but they, when they did this, the moment they changed the the, the new time signature, they also changed their, uh, you know, how fast they were playing, so that. The measure in the old time signature and the measure in the new time signature were the same length. Yeah, you can take a beat out, but still then but, stretch, but it. stretch it. You out. stretch that seven eight to be the same width in time as an eight eight. Yeah, and so we, I get what's that mean? So we go from eight eight to seven eight, and then what we also have to do is increase the BPM by one point. I guess it'd be by one eight, so it'd be one point one two five. Yeah. It just shows it, right? that anything is possible with the power of imagination. <laughs> uh, I think that's all we have for podcast. Uh, what was our show called? Ablecraft, episode 13. <laughs> I don't know. What are, I we was, doing? are we doing a show? I was, I Did was you reading record the, this? Are you recording? I was reading the podcastindex.social thing. Uh-huh. I forgot what we were supposed to be doing here. Yeah. The, uh, get any last comments before we close this? Last comment. Well, I mean, just that I appreciate your hospitality, sir. And, uh, uh, all right. It's been, a, it's been a great show. Well, until next week, 
Hey, this is our first Sunday show. Is, is it Sunday? No, it's still Saturday, right? Oh, it is Sunday. Yeah, it's Sunday. I don't know what day it is. Ah, well, whatever day it is, I'm Abel Kirby. And uh, I'm Sir Spencer. 